Today's episode of the Top 11 Podcast is sponsored by the San Francisco Giants' 11 Greatest Games of the Decade. This is round three. So for all of those who've been keeping up, the first round was the 49ers, Top 11 Games of the Decade. Last round, which we did earlier this week, was the Golden State Warriors, Top 11 Games of the Decade. And now we go over to the other dynasty that took place this decade in San Francisco. Yes, for those of you who are only 49ers fans, we actually won this many games. I'm a little disappointed that you missed out, but I'm glad you're here now. That's all that counts. The San Francisco Giants dynasty run, which which took place from 2010 to 2014. If you heard one of our earlier episodes, Candlestick Will uh, broke down that this is only the fifth time in MLB history that a team has been able to win three World Series in a five-year span. Only the fifth time in over 100 years of World Series that this has happened. And this run took place from 2010 to 2014. But obviously, we're here to discuss what the greatest games of the decade are. So perhaps there are other games. We're going to find out. Uh, Before we get started, though, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast, and be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we certainly want to get your take on this juicy episode. Oh, yeah. And then Candlestick Will, where can they find us to give their top 11 lists for the 49ers, the Warriors, and the Giants? Where do they find us for that? Easiest way is to go to Top 11 Podcast uh, on Twitter, and it's at Top 11 Podcast. So uh, Top 11 Podcast. Awesome. And Candlestick Will, if they want to talk to you directly, where can they find you? Easiest way is also Twitter at Candlestick Will. And Raymond, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? You can always find me on Twitter at Ray Solis and Instagram at Ray Solis one Awesome. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at my new handle, I am Rudy Third. I am Rudy 3RD. All right, guys, let's get into it. We have a lot to unpack. This is the final opening round of our top 11 tournament. Uh, as we mentioned before to all the Goldcast Nation, There is no March Madness this year, but there is a top 11 tournament. And so this is our March Madness, determining what the greatest games of the last 10 years have been for our favorite teams, the Niners, the Warriors, and now the Giants. But first, as always, the greatest intro in the podcast game. The top 11 crew is here. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Top 11 Podcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. And our esteemed co-host. Candle, stick, will. Boom! Yes! All right, gentlemen, we are here. This is the end of the opening round. SF Giants, the second dynasty The first dynasty that we experienced, but the second on our top 11 tournament. And I want to start, before we even begin with delivering our lists, I just want to talk about, I have a couple questions for you guys. Like, how do you feel 
now that it's done, even though we haven't revealed our lists yet, now that you've done all lists for the Warriors, the Niners, and the Giants, how does it feel? Which was the hardest? Which was the easiest? And what do you think going into our final round, our top 11 tournament, to determine what are the 11 greatest Bay Area games of all time? So, Candlestick Will, this is your brainchild. This is your baby. So, I'm going to start with you. Where are you at now that you've done all three lists? Where are you? Like, which was the hardest? And what do you feel about the totality of your 33 games? Well, so the, the Niners one was probably the hardest for me just because I don't have the same history that you two do on, on the most recent decade of the Niners. So I had to do a lot more research to really kind of break down my list, get some uh, feedback from uh, people that knew more than I did. With the Giants and Warriors, it, it was kind of like you know ranking your kids. <laughs> it was a little bit more difficult because there's so many games that just meant so much to me as a fan. Um, so it was a good problem to have, honestly, because, you know, it's like at the end of the day, you're ranking world series appearances and you're ranking NBA finals appearances. So it was pretty amazing in that regard, um, especially considering some of the futility in previous decades. So, uh, so ultimately I think it was just entertaining, uh, ultimately for, for me, for the Warriors and Giants. And then just, it was, it was nice to kind of rehash some of the, some of the best Niner games. Um, and, you know, I, I have so many friends and family that are diehard Niner fans. So um, it's always always good to be able to share um, the best moments of a, of a team with, with people that care about it. That's awesome. Now, Raymond, what about you? Now, looking back on the 33 games you have now put together, uh, how do you feel overall? And then what was the easiest list? What was the hardest list? This was the hardest list by far just because there's – what um what uh, one two three four five six forty two games between national league championship and world series alone not even counting nlds so to just pick 11 out of you know 60 70 games is a tall task to say no to to you know majority of the games and just I mean, some some stood out more than others. For example, the top three were the easiest for me to figure out, but it was all the games leading up to that in my list that I was kind of challenged by just because there's so many moments throughout these three years, especially these are three championship years uh, similar to the NBA, but in baseball, the you know every play is much more significant because baseball, like football, is a game of inches, and you know uh, one inch in the wrong direction can cost you a game. Um, unlike the NBA. So um, it was a lot more difficult cutting games out of this list than the other previous, the the previous two. So let me ask you this. Let me do a follow-up question now. But having said that, the, the, you know, the NLDS is a best of five and then the NLCS is a best of seven, but NBA, it's seven games all the way across. So it technically Technically, aren't there aren't there more games in in the NBA than there are in the MLB? What was it about this that made even though there's more games in the NBA than there are in the MLB? Why was why I know that you were said as a game of inches, but what, is it is it is that is it just like that that there's so many close calls with the Giants that made it tougher versus picking for the Warriors? Yeah, it's not like there was a bunch of one you know one point difference games in basketball. The Warriors being a dominant team, you know. 
exemplifying a new era uh, and style of basketball that no one had ever seen before, and it really taken the association by surprise to a very, you know, to a dominant extent. It's not like the Giants created a new form of baseball philosophy that took the major league by storm. They really didn't. Um, it was, you know, same old small ball baseball type of game where one run wins the game or it's one to zero or two to one over a span of 10 or 18 innings. Um, it's just a different different breed of sport uh, in comparison to NBA. And even though the NBA postseason is longer than Major League, Major League is still a game of inches, whereas basketball is not a game of inches at all. A lot of times the games are decided, you know, you know what the outcome is going to be um, midway through the fourth quarter or even by the fourth quarter sometimes if, if the game is that convincing, especially with the Warriors. The Warriors didn't really you know, give up a lot of leads in the past five years, you know, except for, you know, one particular season. But outside of that, you know, the Warriors had pretty decisive wins, you know, there wasn't like nail biting games outside of when their backs were against the ropes. Those Clay Thompson game six games, a lot of the Clay Thompson (laughs) games when they were down Oh two against Cleveland in the first championship, you know, that, but, but again, that's, um, that's kind of a broader spectrum. Uh, of of perspective versus the baseball which again comes down to one inning or one pitch or one swing yeah i mean there there are playoff games that that are on my list that where the giants won 1-0 yeah literally 1-0 yep. one run i got one of those i like that for for me the the order goes like this the warriors was the hardest the 49ers Probably the easiest, and the Giants was in the middle. I thought the Giants was pretty easy overall. I thought it was about as easy as the Niners. I just had a really clear picture of, and I think I think maybe this is what made it, it's what made it hard for you is what made it easier for me. It was like I had a clear picture of of very specific games because in in basketball and baseball, it's like one or two things happens, and that's what determines the game. So I was like, well, here's. You know, one through three, easy for me. I think one through three has been easy for all of us on all these lists overall. It's just, you know, where they end up is a little different, but it's pretty much the same one through three almost across the board um, with the exception of the Warriors one um, with Candlestick Will and his games. But in general, it for me, that was the about the Giants. It was like, I just know that I just know what are my favorite games from their entire postseason run. I know I had a pretty clear cut vision of like the five or six big major games. And I'm like, because it really came down to one moment. And so for me, really what the challenge was, was figuring out which moment was more important to me, which game that I rank ahead of the others and which of those great moments did I think deserve to be where on the list. But, but I think that's what made it easier for me. Whereas, the NBA, the 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 Warriors ones. It was there's so much happening all the time. I'm like, well, what what are the significant moments that really define this game versus another? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That was the challenge for me. Uh, going back to you, Candlestick Will. Uh, looking forward to the top eleven tournament, and we kind of said this offline already. This is going to be a bloodbath, but 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 we've got these two. We got these three very successful teams, but we have one team, unfortunately, that has not captured any championships and two dynasties. I mean, let's just be honest here. But the Niners, one hundred percent, are the most important team to San Francisco. The Golden State Warriors are the most important team to the Bay, and the Giants are kind of somewhere in the middle. Where, where, where? What do you anticipate going in to the final round of our top eleven tournament? 
I think it's going to impact, you know, how we rank them because I don't think we're going to be able to just take our take our 11 lists and then just put in like the top four or five from each one and then, you know, and then re- reorganize it. I think sometimes games that maybe we pit, you know, we put lower like maybe seven or eight on one list might be a lot higher when you look at it across the bay because champ like, like just like you mentioned, championships are going to matter more. So, you know, if we had some regular season game really high um, for the for the Niners or the Giants or the Warriors, that that regular season game might not have the same impact on a list that's looking across uh, across sports and across the Bay, um, that it might come down to, you know, just which championships matter the most and which uh, which moments matter the most. And also, you know, when we had moments like, uh, you know, a big a big game for Steph Curry that, you know, kind of announced his. Um, you know his uh, legend status in the in the league. You know maybe a, a game like that would still resonate um, on the top eleven list across uh, across all three sports because of the way that Steph Curry's kind of taken over the bay in a way um, and become the kind of the the, the top um, the top player in in all of the Bay Area uh, across the sports. So you know it'll be interesting to see how how we end up maybe reevaluating games that we had at certain places on uh, on our list for this one. Absolutely, Raymond. Uh, to bring throwing that same question to you. Looking forward towards the tournament, the final tournament. How do you see that playing out? We obviously the Niners' importance to San Francisco versus the Warriors to the Bay and the Giants in the middle. How do you see that playing out for your list as you determine what the final top eleven games are going to be? Knowing what my criteria is has been has 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 how it's shaped up between each list. I think that is going to be easier than this Giants list. Do you, are you going to like basically? Let me ask you this: uh, Are you basically going to be pitting like everybody's top three against each other and then deciding what like the final two games are? <laughs> is it going to be like that? Is it? I mean, I don't want you to I don't want you to give us too much of a, a spoiler, but I'm saying is it going to be something like that? You're like, okay, well here's here's the most important games. Because I'm going to say this, and we talked about this uh, offline before we started recording, you know, the Navarro Bowman final candlestick game, that to me is really big and like really important and and maybe might rank at a different place on this list than it did on the Niners list, you know, but it might, but I might put it ahead of certain things. I might put it behind certain things. So, I mean, when you say it's easier, what does that mean for you? Uh, Because it comes down to criteria. You know, for me, my criteria is very specific. You know, the wins matter the most. So it's just a matter of figuring out which wins are more significant than another, which one was more impactful, which one was more thrilling, which victory had, you know, more significance to their team or vice or, or, you know, what's what got it started, you know, for the Giants, Giants and the Warriors, I think is going to be much tougher than the Niners because they're you have two dynasties versus one trying to start one you know two te- two teams that are dynasties versus one team that's still trying to become a dynasty and so you know I think uh, just with that alone to me it's just a matter of like all right which which championship win you know is better than the other and how do I rank it that's really kind of where I'm at Whereas this Giants list, to me, this was a tough list to come up with. And I didn't even, you know, in the interest of time, my honorable mentions list is is short and sweet. But the honorable mentions list could easily have had, you know, 10 or 12 games. 
I love that. I can't wait to hear your list just because you wrestled with it so much. Looking forward, it is going to be tough, and I'll tell you why. And, you know, uh, as Candlestick Will loves to promote on this podcast, he promotes bias. As a San Francisco diehard native, I always can't help but look at everything from San Francisco looking out towards the bay. <laughs> and and so uh, for me, what happens in San Francisco for me always tends to carry the most weight as you know this is it is the San Francisco Bay Area and the premier city in the bay and my hometown so it is a uh, it's it's going to be tricky cuz I'm I'm going to try to play fair to the bay but at the same time my bias for San Francisco always plays a role and I never hide my bias you know like there are many famous uh uh sports uh, analysts and journalists and talking heads and podcasters that have no problem uh, have no problem admitting their bias. I am diehard San Francisco to the very end. You know, this is I feel this way the way other guys feel about New York and Boston, and especially with all the success. But I also have to be kind of realistic into saying, well, you know, I can't throw just this one random game for the Niners ahead of a, literally a championship. So it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky for me. Um, I think that list is going to be kind of tough for me as I kind of navigate my own bias and and at the same time try to uh, try to be fair to the the whole bay. So we'll see. All right, gentlemen, let's get into this round, the third and final round before we enter our top eleven tournament finals to determine what the eleven best games of the decade are. And as always, we start with Ray. So Raymond. A lot of hype for this list, this tough list. Give us your opening list. All right, number 11, I've got the 2010, October 7th, Atlanta versus San Francisco NLDS game one. Number 10, I've got 2012, October 9th, San Francisco versus Cincinnati NLDS game three. And number nine, I have 2014, October 4th, San Francisco versus Washington Nationals, the NLDS game two. And for number eight, I've got 2014 again, October 1st, San Francisco versus the Nationals again. Um, sorry, I have a error here. Oh, the wild card game. The wild card game is number eight. Which one? From 2014? Against the Pirates, yeah. Rudy, what about you? All right. For number 11, it is a regular season game, October 3rd, 2010, game 162. At number 10, another regular season game, June 13th, 2012, game 63. At number 9, October 7th, 2010, NLDS, game 1, Raymond's game 11. And then at number 8, October 4th, 2014 NLDS game two candlestick will what about you so for number 11 I have uh, game 162 from 2010 for number 10 I've got a three-way tie for the 2012 NLCS games five six and seven <laughs> for number <laughs> for number for number nine I've got the 2012 World Series game four and for number Eight. I've got the 2010 NLDS game one. Ooh. So hold on. We have we have a tie. Uh, you and I both have game 162 at number yeah. 11. I love it. One, That's our 
And my, our, we, we both have the NLDS game one in our first, in our first group. In fact, all of us do. Cause Raymond has the NLDS game one at his number 11. Everybody, everybody has the NLDS game one in their uh, opening round 11 through eight. That's dope. And, and, and even, even after we've just said that, I think we can all probably agree that we've probably underrated that game. Um, as, as we'll talk about, but I, I think that move, I think that game is actually way underrated. And we probably should all have it higher, but it's okay. I you're you're probably right. You're literally probably right, especially if you think about just the totality. We'll talk about it in a, in but, a second. But Ray, Ray, break down your list. So 2010, I picked because it's the game that really got this whole thing started, and Tim Lincecum blanks the Atlanta Braves in Game One, and just a, a two-hit shutout game. Just a magnificent performance on a pitcher, you know, who had a brilliant, you know, who, who had been dominant in his first two seasons coming into the league with back-to-back Cy Youngs and then kind of had a little bit of up and downs uh, after that, but uh, was able to really kind of come back into his usual self in this pitching performance. And that's really the, what stood out to me the most in this game. Uh, that in addition to uh, Cody Ross getting the lone RBI, which would uh, seal the win. And that would be the beginning of Cody Ross's run as well. And so that to me was the reason why I chose that game. The next game, uh, the 2010 NLDS game three against the Reds. That was um, another one that uh, that one stood out to me uh, for, you know, just again, it was a, uh, another brilliant uh, performance. Um, this was uh, the Sergio Romo got the win at the end of this one. This was a tight, another tight game. As as there is a lot of tight games throughout uh, the history of this postseason uh, run by the Giants, but this was another one run game here that was just uh, again just another terrific performance, pitching performance, and you know getting the closeout at the end. It was really really tie it went through 10 innings it took 10 innings to get this one done and uh when it did get done it was uh angel pagan that got uh that got the run off i believe a sack fly and then uh the next game number nine was uh 2014 nlds game two against the nationals again we have another two to one victory this was the yasumero petite game uh that's the the, the picture I, I reference in this one Although uh, Tim Tim Hudson had a great performance, he gave seven strong innings, only giving up one run and struck out eight. And I love me some uh, some Tim Hudson, especially from his days with the Oakland Athletics. But uh, Petit came in really late in this game too, and and gave uh, gave a really strong inning, uh, or had like or not, what is he? He he pitched six innings. I, that's right, he pitched six innings and struck out seven. He was brilliant. Um, in his performance, uh, and everyone that came in really between Javier Lopez, Romo, Jeremy Atfeld, Santiago Casilla, who drove me crazy. Um, I couldn't stand that pitcher. Uh, he, I, th- I, I thought he was a good setup man, just not a good <laughs> he closer. Did. I but remember he that. loved to close for, for you know, because he was just that he just had that attitude. He loved it, even though he wasn't very good at it. Um, he did, and by my at least by my opinion. And again, uh, this was um, a game that was won in the uh, in the 18th inning. Um, this was crazy, and this was Brandon Belt that uh, that won this one um, with uh, with a bomb there. 
And uh, that was just an amazing game. I watched all of it. It was painstaking. Again, torture, Giants torture. And then the wild card game in 2014, just because it was a one-game one do or die. 2014, we weren't as dominant as we were in the previous two seasons. Well, well, 2014 was, I think, we were the most confident and dominant. 2012, we also won over 90 games, but uh, this was 2014, we won 88 games and barely made it into the postseason. And when once we did, though, then I think the rest of the league really got concerned and Madison Bumgarner led things off with an eight eight run shutout um, offensive juggernaut Pittsburgh just never had an answer Madison Bumgarner went nine innings struck out 10 only gave up four hits and one walk it was just um just boom we it, it was a statement like hey we're in the playoffs and don't forget about us all right what about you Rudy all right so we begin first with my only two regular season games that ended up on the list. October 3rd, 2010, Game 162, tied with Candlestick Will. Giants clinch the NL West for the first time in seven seasons. All they had to do, and Raymond, you already said the buzzword, and I'm going to say it right after this. All they had to do was win one game in their final three against the Padres. But, of course, they lose the first two games and have to win the final game of the season, it is pure torture. And that became the motto for all of the 2010 season, all the 2012 season, torture. That the Giants, the the thing about this crew in the very first year, the 2010, the Misfits crew, very famously known as the Misfits crew for the for the, our 49ers gold casters. These guys were the Misfits, right? We They were good, but not great. Kind of really, really their their whole season kind of was on the backs of Tim Lincecum and Matt Cain. Bumgarner, this was the season where Bumgarner was good and had a lot of potential, but like was far from the Bumgarner of 2014 where he is the pitching postseason god. He's not there yet. He still is. I remember when Bumgarner would come on the mound, I would get nervous. I would still be like, well, I don't know if this Bumgarner kid's going to be able to pull it off. Like, But this really was... The Freaks' best year, Tim Lincecum, and it literally came down to the final game on the of the season for the Giants. And of course, it is you know the shortest stint in MLB history at being number one. They win their final game and immediately have to go into the playoffs. It was pure torture. And uh, in in typical Giants fashion, as already mentioned, they had their final series with the Padres. Whoever win, who, If they win one game against the Padres, the Padres are out and the Giants are going. But of course, they lose the first two and they have to fin- win the final game on the final day of their season just to get into the post. Final score 3-0. Sanchez with the win. Brian Wilson with the save. Brian Wilson famously beginning the fear of the, fear of the beard chant that ended up James Harden adopted and there's some guy from hockey that adopted but if you're if you if you grew a big giant beard in the last 10 years whether you realize it or not it's because of Brian Wilson Brian Wilson literally started the fear the beard movement the the first beard that we were rooting for in sports was Brian Wilson and if you're wearing a beard it's because of him it lead that whole trend that ended up capturing the entire 2010s started with Brian Wilson and Brian Wilson with the save October that game, super huge game, a lot of significance. It was at my number 11. Number 10, I put June 13, 2012, game 63, Matt, Gain, Matt Kane's perfect game. Uh, the final score is 10-0, Kane with the win. 
22nd perfect game in MLB history. First by the Giants. Kane retired 27 batters and tallied 14 strikeouts, beating his previous record of 12 strikeouts. The perfect game was also saved by Melky Cabrera, the infamous milkman in the sixth, and then Gregor, Bron- Gregor Blanco in the top of the seventh. But for me, the, even though the, uh, the October 3rd, 2010 game uh, obviously has so much postseason significance is the beginning is literally the game that gets us in and begins the dynasty. This game was just is to me is the most memorable regular season game of that entire run. When I, when I sat down, there was, there was one game that I remembered even more than October 3rd, 2010. And that was Matt Cain's perfect game. And it had to make the list. Um, I don't rank it higher than the postseason games because there are so many crazy, insane, brutal games that come up beyond this. Very, like as we said, very Clay Thompson game six-ish games for the Giants. Many versions of that. But this game is the most memorable game. And that's why I put it at number 10. At number 9, October 7, 2010, the NLDS game one. Giants top the Braves. Similar to you, Raymond. This is Tim Lincecum's... Uh, coming out party. This is it. The, the 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 legend of the freak is beginning. Now we finally get to see what this kid do in the post. We've had two years of dominance, back-to-back Cy Youngs, and now we see what he does. And Cody Ross, Cody Ross with the one run, but Tim Lincecum blanks, and boom, we have our first win in the post against the Braves. Blanks him, and, uh, and, we, move, and we move on to game two. Uh, number eight, October 4th, 2014 NLDS game two. This also ended up on your list. This also ended up on your guys' list. Uh, Giants defeat the Nats in 18 innings to take the lead. I saw this entire game. This was, I believe this was the longest game in postseason history when it first went down. His final score was only two to one. It was like over three hours. It was brutal. But if you were a Giants or Nats fan, you were on the edge of your seat. And the reason this game is so important, and the reason I put it in my number eight, is because Everybody thought that this was the Nats year. The Nationals were going to do it. They were finally going to cement their place and win their World Series. And And even though this was a big series, I saw a lot of people going with Brian Harper and the Nats. Bryce Harper, I'm sorry, Bryce Harper and the Nats. They're going with Bryce Harper and the Nats. And saying, "Hey, this is this is their this is their series to lose. The Nats got this. They're going all the way." And no one really, no one really believed that we had what it took. And then when we when we won this game. When we beat them in this game, this was the game that broke their back. This was the game. And you saw it and you felt it. And i got to give props to Bryce Harper, who I'm, I'm not always the biggest fan of. But Bryce Harper was the only player that I saw during that entire game that wanted to win. Everyone else gave up. I felt like they gave up once we went to extra innings. Harper w- wanted to have this game, and I give props to him. He's the one guy I give props to. But this was the game that broke their back, and this was, to me, was – one of the big turning points in 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 that postseason run where it was like, all right, we're gonna do this. And I really feel like that 2014 run kind of reminds me of the Warriors final run uh, for the NBA Finals where we were just really we weren't the most talented team. We weren't the best team. I mean, you know, our our, our lead pitching was kind of suspect, and that becomes really obvious when we enter the final series of the World Series of 2014. But really what what got us there was the experience. That we just knew how to close out the big games. We knew what it took to win in the, in the clutch moments. W- what this took to make this run. This is almost the exact same team from 2012. And we were really winning mostly more based on experience and not necessarily talent. And this game really proved that.
All right, Candlestick Will, give give us your defend your defend your first four. So for eleven, I had the same as you. The game one sixty two. Um, you know, one of the themes I think for my list and kind of where I rank things was that, you know, there were some games where if they you know if they don't win this game, then there are no other games. You know, and the twenty ten season was a. One where there was no guarantee of the playoffs. They were chasing the the Padres, you know, all up until the final game of the year. Had to had to win um, the last game to make the playoffs. And so for the fact that they didn't make the playoffs between 2004 and 2009, they had the crushing uh, losses in 2003 um, to the Marlins, and then the, obviously the the heartbreak of 2002 that you know, this was a long time coming to just make the playoffs again. And the fact that they were able to beat the the Padres that day and the way that the team pitched uh, that day, the entire bullpen was just lights out from um, everyone from Ramon Ramirez to Santiago Garcia um, to Sergio Romo. I mean, it was it was one of the most impressive games all, all across the board. Um, Buster Posey's home run was just huge and just – signified what a impact player he was uh, about to become for uh, the next um, you know half decade and uh, and ultimately uh, you know it was what started this whole run and um, so that's where that's where my list starts as well um, like I said I had a three-way tie um, for number 10 um, really because the, the entire 2012 uh, postseason was a pretty crazy uh, crazy one and the three NLCS games against St. Louis um, were were certainly um, right up there with, uh, you know, as far as the same the same uh, intensity that you guys have been talking about with some of the other games, and uh, and it was it was crazy. I mean, they had to win uh, three three games in a row. They had they had done it before with the the Reds um, in the previous round, and then here here comes the the Cardinals and they're down three one and they have to win three straight again. So it was just, it was an incredible um, postseason um, in those first two rounds. And, you know, everyone remembers uh, the, um, the game five is the rally Zito game where Barry Zito, who wasn't even on the 2010 uh, playoff roster had suddenly become a big part of the, the giants um, rotation. And he went out there and he blanked them. And had an incredible game. The Giants went five nothing and just dominated the Cardinals in a must win. They come back the very next night, and, uh, or uh, not the very next night, but two nights later, and Ryan Vogelsong completely shuts down the Cardinals uh, as well. Um, and we go from Rally Zito to Rally Enchiladas, and <laughs> and Ryan Vogelsong was you know always lights out in the playoffs, which was uh, his calling card was his uh, perfect record in the playoffs. And then Matt Cain, um, like he did that entire season, uh, he was there for the clincher, and the Giants just completely destroyed the Cardinals nine nothing. And the uh, the the main guy that people remember from that series is Marco Scudero. Um, you know, Matt Holiday was uh, the 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 villain of the story, um, sliding you know into in right into Scudero and and you know trying to hurt him. And Scudero comes right back, uh, laces a a double right at Holiday's face that he ends up playing wrong and ends up clearing the bases. That was badass. Um, that was so badass. And 
and he and he hit like 500 in the in the series. So, um, you know, I, I had originally just put Game Seven um, for just how how perfect that, that game was. The 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 rain coming down on Scudero and him looking up at the heavens and just the the narrative of that game was just perfect. Him him catching the last out, but you know it's 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 impossible to have a top eleven list in my opinion without at least giving a shout out or or including the the Rally Zito game and the and the Ryan Vogel song game six. So um, the to, to me the best way to honor those those two games before game seven is just to have them all be a three way tie. Um, for number nine, I had the the 2012 World Series game four. Um, you know, the World Series ended up being somewhat anticlimactic because there was a they were able to sweep um, the best team in baseball in the in the Detroit Tigers, and uh, our pitching was just incredible uh, throughout. But you know, game four was a was a nail biter, and you know, Romo being able to get uh, the triple crown winner Miguel Cabrera looking was just um, one of the most incredible endings to a game uh, in Giants history. Um, Buster Posey's home run in that game was also huge. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it, re- it reminds you of just how, how, un- in- how improbable and how incredible um, these, these playoff runs were because that, that kind of a script would have been thrown out um, that the, they would have just dominated the way they did um, in the, in the world series after the the way that they had to play the first two rounds um and uh and yeah and, and what Romo was able to do in that game and and what people also forget um in that game is Jeremy Affelt um going three up three down um against the heart of the order um with you know including Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder our best reliever Delman, yeah. our best reliever yeah. he was so lights out and even the even you know he was he was so at the end of those ropes those last two years those last two playoff runs but he just kept chugging away and again kind of we talked about it was all experience it wasn't even talent at that point because his talent his, the, the 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 strength of his youth was clearly gone well, he he was the the best. He's the best relief pitcher statistically outside of Mariano Rivera um, in the history of the playoffs. So, um, as far as relievers go, so you know whatever, uh, however you want to describe it, he was he he was uh, he was perfect when it mattered yep. because he didn't get up, didn't get up a single run as a Giants reliever um, and uh, did it in over twenty three innings. So, um, you know, there's I mean there were some key moments in his career in in each each of those championship runs, but being able to to um, to get uh, Cabrera, Young, and Fielder, um, and get that heart of the order in that game four was that was, an amazing, was uh, as amazing as as big as big a part of that game as anything. So, yep. um, so that's where that's why I have that at, at number nine, and then number eight, the the game that we all have in this first group, um, the 2010 NLDS game one uh, from Lincecum with 14 strikeouts. Um, I think the the biggest reason why I kind of alluded to the idea that this was probably underrated by all of us is that, you know, the one thing the Giants didn't have was experience in 2010. You know, people were looking at the Giants and just assuming they wouldn't do well in the playoffs because they didn't have playoff experience. And Tim Lincecum couldn't give less of, less of, less of a shit um, of the, that narrative. And he just went out and just destroyed the, the Braves. Um, they had no idea what, to, what was coming. They had, they, even, even when they did know it was coming, it didn't matter. Um, Lincecum completely shut him down. Um, the, to fact, the fact that he went a complete game and went 
and went 14 strikeouts. It was the Giants' way of saying, yeah, it doesn't really matter what experience we have because you're not going to get a hit. You're not going to get a run, and this pitching staff is going to dominate you. And you're not going to beat Lincecum this year, so you better find a way to beat somebody else because there's no way you're beating Lincecum. And that scared the hell out of everybody. And it put pressure on every other team in 2010 that you better figure it out because you're not going to beat Lincecum no matter who you have. And to me, that's what got, that's the legacy of game one. And, uh, and when you really think about it, it's like that, that game sent the same kind of a message that we were talking about last week with Steph Curry, that some of the performances he had, it was like, Oh shit, uh, I guess Steph Curry is going to be a, be a problem. Well, in 2010, at least in that season, you know, it was like a whole oh, shit, you know, Tim Lincecum is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So Ray, what do you got for uh four through seven? So, or you mean, oh, sorry, you, uh, yes. Okay, <laughs> so you read it in the reverse order, so I'm like, what? I'm like, we're already on four? <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you have seven through four? <laughs> yeah. So number seven, Ten. I've got 2010 again, topping this group, October 16th, San Francisco uh, Giants against the Philadelphia Phillies, NLCS game one. Number six, I've got 2012, October 11th, San Francisco versus the Reds, NLDS game five. And number, uh, what is it? Uh, Number five, I've got 2012, again, October 19th, San Francisco versus the St. Louis. Uh, That's NLCS game five, a game you've already referenced. And then uh, number four, I've got 2014, October 26th, Kansas City Royals versus the Giants World Series Game Five. Oh, all right, Rudy. What about you? All right, at number seven, October 9th, two thousand twelve, NLDS Game Three. At number six, October twenty second, two thousand twelve, NLCS Game Seven. At number five, October sixteenth. 2014 NLCS game five. And then at number four, October 21st, 2012 NLCS game five. Raymond, almost a tie between you and me. Very close on that one. Uh, Candlestick Will, what about you? So at number seven, I have the 2012 World Series game one. For number six, I have the 2014 World Series Game 7. For number five, I have June 13th, 2012, the perfect game. For number four, I've got the 2010 NLCS Game 6. Whoa! Holy moly! <laughs> that That's a great list. Uh, I, I, I may have some of those ranked higher. Uh, this is crazy. <laughs> All right, so Ray, break it down for us. All right. So the 2010 game, that's the uh, the game one National League Championship against the Philadelphia Phillies, a team any Giants fan will tell you that uh, they loathed at the time. Roy Holiday was the starting pitcher. We had, once again, Tim Lincecum getting things started here for us uh, in, a, uh, in a pivotal matchup that ended up being a very uh a very a very good series but Linskem was again had a brilliant outing eight strikeouts seven innings 
he gave up three earned runs, but uh, but uh, we gave up uh, we gave up four to Holiday, and uh, that was all that was needed in this one. You know, again, a game of inches. Uh, you just need one run to really get this thing going, and uh, this was a uh, a really terrific uh, terrific game by another terrific pitching performance. And what more can you say about that? I mean, uh, this was just, and again, Cody Ross, he was three for two. He was uh, a monster in that game. He was uh, all over the place. I think he was batting, he batted 353 uh, at the time. And also this was his uh, two home two home run game. So he had two big bombs in this game. That was uh, really ended up being the significance in, in the scoring. So you had us doing things on both ends to really make it count. You had the pitching when it needed to happen. Uh, to close this thing out, to to get it started, to, to keep keep uh, Philadelphia's lineup at bay, which is a very good lineup, by the way. And uh, and then you had uh, Brian Wilson and Javier Lopez coming in to to do the the dirty work in the late innings. Javier Lopez setting up, you know, just uh, doing his work in a really small amount of work. But then Brian Wilson getting four outs in that game. And then uh, 2012, that was the NLDS Game 5 against the Reds, October 11th. That was the 6-4 to four win. Um, that one was also the, uh, I think Buster Posey had a home run in that one. Grand Slam. Yeah, he had the, the big one. And uh, this was also the uh, the the Matt Cain. Matt Cain uh, has a good performance here, although his ERA wasn't great. Um, coming up to that point, I think he was up to like five, but, um, but we had a, a lot of support from relief pitching. Jer- George Contos stepped in, Jeremy Affelt stepped in, Javier Lopez stepped in, Santiago Casillas stepped in and, uh, Sergio Romo, uh, closed this thing out for us. I believe this is when he was closing. Um, and, uh, so that was again, just another, terrific performance it's this one stood out to me just because of because of where what it what mattered in this game this to me was a, a closeout game in a pivotal series to get to the next round so closeout games uh, are mean a lot in my list and uh you know the the next one the 2012 nlcs against the the cardinals you already alluded to this will but um i picked this one because of again the the significance this was uh we were down three one do or die and barry zito comes in who i loved uh in oakland he was brilliant in oakland but just really never lived up to his contract in san francisco although had this moment among a few others throughout this run where he really ended up earning his money when it mattered most and he was brilliant in seven and two uh, innings pitched Gave up six hits, but also struck out six. And again, it didn't need a whole lot. It was a very typical game between, you know, Barry giving an old school seven inning performance. And then you have your setup and your closer. Casilla came in and then Romo came in and closed it out. This was just, again, brilliant, brilliant pitching. And against another pretty solid lineup. And Pablo Sandoval went for yard in that one. I think, uh, Brandon Belt had a double in that one, but you know it was just uh, just another. He blanked him. He blanked a, a really solid lineup. And then in uh, 2014, this was against Kansas City Royals, who seemed to have a very 
they had a terrific narrative going into this postseason with the amount of time they hadn't been in the championship and all the stars aligning against them. But uh, game five, here you have a uh, another shutout performance. I, I love these shutouts, by the way. And this one was uh, by Madison Bumgarner, who gets the complete game. Four hits, had a, a 1.13 ERA in this game. This was just a terrific, terrific performance by, by what would become you know, a historic pitching performance throughout that entire series and even uh, the games leading up to that. Madison Bumgarner was just absolutely decimated the Kansas City Royals, and they were a pesky lineup too. They weren't... You know, they didn't necessarily, I think there's, there was some better lineups that we went up against in the postseason overall, but uh, this was just, this was just a, a scrappy bunch similar to the, to the giant. They had a similar scrappiness to the way the giants played in terms of offense, but uh, they had absolutely no answer for Madison Bumgarner. And this showed it here in game five, you know, coming up again and having to deal with him a second time. And this was the rematch between uh, Madison Bumgarner and James Shields, and James Shields just could not do enough. Um, he, he he gave up seven in the first game and gave up five in this game. And so, or well, yeah, yeah, he gave up five in this one. And uh, it just, uh, and just again, just not much you can do in, in that. Well, I, he actually didn't give up. Uh, it was uh, relief pitching. Uh, Kevin Herrera gave up two runs, and Shields gave up two in that one earned runs and that is not unearned and uh yeah that's um that to me was big so Madison Bumgarner you know he's gonna show up here again of course uh, as I imagine he will on your guys's list but uh that's my seven through four all right what about you Rudy all right so just to kind of put it in perspective now that we're we're done with 11 through 8 2012 to me and which is going to show up, obviously shows up a lot on this seven through four list. 2012 for me, the run up to the World Series. You mentioned earlier, Candlestick Will, that you know we 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 sweep the Detroit Tigers, the best team in baseball, in four. It's kind of a it's not that dramatic, except for game game four is the one where they really gave us a run. But outside of that, the series was pretty dominant for the Giants. But the run up, the games played to get to the World Series, we were so close to being eliminated so many different times. I have never sat, I've never been more worried about the Giants than I was in the 2012 run-up to the World Series. Those playoff runs were insane, and that's why I picked the games that I picked for my list. So going back, as a reminder, number seven, October 9th, 2012, game three of the NLDS, the Vogelsong game. And you already mentioned Vogelsong was so clutch he saves the season and thus saves the dynasty that is yet to occur five innings pitch five strikeouts only one run earned the only run that the reds ever make that game romo close out, closes out the game to keep us alive the giants win at on the road at cincinnati two to one game six october 22nd 2012 game seven of the nlcs which already showed up on your list candlestick will uh, I call this game the Hunter breaks the bat three times. 
And this game is so imprinted on my mind when I think of 2012. There's a couple of major moments, and this is one of them. This is probably uh, one of the first big ones. Is that Hunter breaking the bat three times. The Giants dominate the Cardinals. The Cardinals are the Yankees of the 21st century. They're the most successful team. When I say Yankees, they're the Yankees of the National League in the 21st century. They're the most dominant team that has come out of the National League. The closest thing we have to something like the New York Yankees. So for the Giants to beat them in two different postseason runs on their way to win World Series, at that time was unfathomable. Like you you are looking at a team. Now, also bear in mind, this is the team that won the 2011 World Series. Right? Am I right? That's the two, They won the 2011 one, not the 2013. Am I right? We, we won. The Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We won. The Red Sox won in 2013. Yes, 2013. We won won 2010. They won 2011. Now we're facing them in the NLCS. Giants, Cardinals, only one of these two previous champions is going on to the World Series. And Hunter Pence, who was so pivotal emotionally to that 2012 run, famously talking to this entire team, famously having that conversation during their series against the Reds when they were already down two games two games to and help propel them to win that game three, which was my number seven. Hunter goes in and he breaks that bat three times on that huge run. Giants win 9-0. They defeat the Cardinals at home. That's my number six. Number five, October 16th, 2014, game five of the NLCS. I call this the Michael Morris and Travis Ishikawa game. We all remember. Michael Morris ties the game in the eighth, three to three. Boom, we're down two, three. He ties the game. Ishikawa, it was lackluster offensively up until that moment. Up until that moment, I mean, it really, there really wasn't a lot, a lot happening again against the Cardinals. But then in the ninth, Ishikawa with the walk-off three-run homer to send us to our third World Series in five years. And I'll tell you, the the two moments that are imprinted in my mind when I think of the twenty. 12 postseason run, I think of Hunter Pence breaking the bat three times. When I think of 2014 and the 2014 run, all I remember, you guys know the moment. Travis Ishikawa running to the running to home plate and the entire team sitting there, him throwing off his helmet and going crazy. Like when I think of the 2014 postseason run, that's the number one moment. And that moment and Hunter Pence with the bat, those are the two moments. That's why they ended up right here. I was like, these, these are the most important moments. They're the most exciting games, the biggest moments, the craziest moments, the moments that define the postseason run before the World Series. And that's why I got them at six and five. And then at number four, October 21st, 2012, game five of the NLCS, a game that's already appeared uh, on Candlestick Will, I believe on your list, right, is uh, Zito blanks the Cardinals, and saves the dynasty. I, you guys have already talked a lot about this. Zito was heavily criticized for the contract he had. Obviously had a very a very big career with the A's. Had come over to the Giants. This was a huge pickup for the Giants. Everyone expected a lot out of him. Expected him to kind of be the 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 uh, the the next you know the the other the other big big pitcher between with Kane and Lincecum. And he never really quite got it. But here we are. I don't know a, what happened to him either. It was such a weird transit, sharp drop off from what he did in Oakland with that big, big curveball. I think I think it was a combination of perhaps getting a little complacent with the big money, and then also the league figuring him out because it wasn't until he got the slider that he was able to counterbalance some of that. Yeah, and I, well, his his fastball his fastball dropped 
his the the speed on his fastball dropped, and so he had to you know be able to figure out how to pitch when the curveball and fastball speeds weren't that different anymore, and he couldn't get the timing you know off of guys. I mean, when you're throwing a pitch that's only a few miles faster, um, no matter what you're throwing, it's it's so much easier for uh, batters to sit on the on the curveball and, and avoid it. There you go. And so to kind of paint the picture, uh, you know, to kind of further illustrate this game and why it ended up as number four on my list before my top three is that this is kind of like that Clay Thompson game six game where this is the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. This is the returning champs, NLCS. We are already down three to one. All the cards got to do is beat us here. And we're in, we're it, we're in St. Louis. They just got they beat us here. They go to the World Series back to back. And once again, the most successful team of the 21st century for for the NL goes on to win another World Series or at least compete for another World Series. The Giants have no business beating this team. And we are bringing out Barry Zito, this guy that has literally failed us at every turning point. I had, I remember being there in the stadium watching this guy get booed off the plate. I was there. I was there. I saw so many games in 2010 and 2012, and I, he, I watched him get booed off the plate. And Zito sits there. And with the entire season, with the, with, and not knowing it, the entire dynasty on the line, he wins that game 5 to zero and earns his money in one game. I remember walking through San Francisco and everybody in San Francisco was saying at the same time, they're like, Zito earned it. He earned it every dollar, every penny. It was like he instantly all was forgiven off of that one game. And he already, he had a couple other. <laughs> yeah, all, all the regular season like mishaps and just being really shitty in the regular season. <laughs> all of that went out the window. Like, nope, that's okay. That's okay. And he had one more big game, game one of the World Series against the Tigers. But that was the game that it, it was. The, it's the Barry Zito game, man. It, it, he he didn't know it. He saved the dynasty against once again the 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 most dominant National League team, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. But uh, that that's why I put it number four. It is of of the games, even though we've you know we've got those the 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 three the three bat break, you know uh, Ishikawa the walk off, the it's for that game. It's not so much about the how it, it, it's not so dramatic. Like I have those those moments kind of imprinted in my brain. It's not I don't have any moment imprinted. It's about the significance of that game, and that's why I put it at number four right before the three. Because if Zito doesn't come in, and Zito has no business winning that game, Zito has failed us time and time again. He should have gone into that game and got his ass whooped, and we're going home, and we're not even having this top eleven podcast with the Giants on it. Uh, we're I don't know what we're doing, <laughs> but we're doing something else. He had no business, but for him to go in and channel channel the Barry Zito of old and to save the season, save the dynasty, I had to put it at number four. I put it as, as I think, the most important game besides the final three um, on my list. So there you go. Now, Candlestick will defend your seven through four. So for number seven, I had the 2012 World Series game one. So it's the... Uh... The other game where Barry Zito was actually pretty incredible, yes. um, going going head to head with Justin Verlander. Um, my favorite moment of that game. Um, I, I know I'm I'm uh, uh, skipping over the the Pablo thing, but I'll get to that in a minute. But um, the best moment of that of that game for me was when Barry Zito was up to bat, and Tim McCarver, who's one of the worst. Uh, 
broadcasters in human history had had the most beautiful moment it's you know the the meme of antonio vanderas you know kind of kissing the sky it was the perfect moment to just encapsulate what a moron he is that justin verlander who's you know one of the best pitchers in the world facing barry zito at the plate and mccarver at that moment says this might be the most um you know uh overmatched matchup in you know in uh, baseball history and then the very next pitch Zito laces a single and gets a hit off of Verlander. And it was just, it was the best thing ever because not only did that happen, but then Zito outpitched Verlander. So that those two things combined actually for me is even more enjoyable than the unbelievably incredible Pablo Sandoval hitting three home runs uh, in, in that game. But, you know, after what we faced with, with the Reds, after what we faced with the Cardinals, there was, there was, I think there was an assumption that we were going to go seven against the Tigers and that this was going to be a tough series because the Tigers on paper were better than the Cardinals and were better than the Reds. And we came out and Zito just shut the door in game one and Pablo Sandoval, you know, went full Babe Ruth and hit three homers in a game uh, in the World Series. And it was, it was one of those games that every Giants fan will remember forever. Um, for what for what Pablo did, and I'll remember forever for what Pablo and Zito did, and it's it's one of the best games the the Giants ever played. Um, for number six, um, I have a game that could easily be number one, uh, 2014 World Series Game Seven. It's probably the most uh, there's probably the best overall game from both sides of of the three clinchers that we had. Um, in those three uh, World Series years, um, Madison Bumgarner was superhuman and Paul Bunyan-like, and you know every every single um, you know des- descriptive word you can use in a positive way is a way you can describe M- Madison Bumgarner that day to come in and close that game. The chronic uh, Brandon Crawford, Joe Panic double play off of uh, who else but Jeremy Affelt um, pitching us out of another jam. And, you know, just everything about that game was incredible. The the back and forth, the edge of your seat when uh, Al, uh, when Gordon hits the triple that could have could have been an inside the park home run the way that uh, Blanco and Perez uh, misplayed the ball so many times that probably would have given the every Giants fan heart palpitations had he scored. Um, but for for what that meant to just finish off the dynasty and cement the dynasty as this this in fact was a dynasty in three titles in five years that game will be um will will never be overrated um for what it meant um i've underrated it on my list because i think there's some games that happened before it that i think were more impactful to the giants decade um because we don't get a dynasty without the other performances but um but what mad bum did was just um, otherworldly. And then for number five, I have the perfect game. Uh, it was actually a kind of a laugher, you know, 10 nothing game. Um, but from the moment Blanco made that catch in right center to the last out, it was about as thrilling a three innings as we've ever seen. Um, and for it to be on a random day in June um, just reminds us that baseball can be pretty incredible sometimes. Um, and it, in, in that way, is similar to 
some of the clay performances we talked about last week with his 37 points in a quarter and uh, 60 points in three quarters and those those kinds of games where something incredible can happen on a random day of the week game. Um, and Matt Cain. It's the game I remember the most in those in that in that five year run. It is the number one regular season game. I remember just like like we said, just stamped in my brain. If you go best regular season game, gun to your head, I go Matt Cain's perfect game. I don't even I don't even think twice about it. It's the number one most important game I think the Giants and the best game they played in in the in that five year run. Yeah, I mean I I, uh, I it's, it's hard to disagree with that. I, you know Matt Cain's my my favorite player of all time across all sports, and that that game kind of sealed his. Uh, his fate with the Giants as as a you know forever a legend and that 2012 season was was near perfect for him in a, in a lot of ways started the All Star game you know won won every clinching game or was the starting pitcher for every clinching game in the playoffs um, you know his his numbers uh, and his win total finally matched his numbers um, after pitching some incredible games for some terrible Giants teams in the beginning of his career um, and. Uh, so that that season is my favorite season, and you know for what Matt Cain was able to do. But um, I actually wasn't watching that game, and was doing something else, and then noticed on a on the scroll that the Giants were up ten nothing, and was like, oh wow, that sounds cool. Let, let's check that out. I go I go to turn it on, and it's, it was minutes before the Blanco catch, and I'll and I'm looking at the screen, and I'm like. Wait, zero hits? Wait, does he have a no hitter going? Like I, I was like learning as I was, you know, as I had it on, and I was like, it's all zeros. Like, okay, all right, let's see what's going on. And uh, and then the the Blanco catch, just you know, you're on you're on the edge of your seat every pitch. Um, and it was so it was it was it was you know one of the most incredible games of the decade, um, and one of the most incredible games in Giants history. Period. Um, and then for number four, I have one of my all time favorite. Games and one of my all-time favorite home runs uh, in team history, uh, the 2010 NLCS Game Six. Um, it was uh, the Juan Uribe uh, game game clinching home run um, in, in the eighth inning off of uh, off of Madsen that um, sent the sent the Giants to the World Series. And uh, what people will always remember about that game. Is the Jonathan Sanchez Chase Utley um, dust up that uh, led to the two to two benches clearing and everyone but Jeremy Affelt um, going out on the field because Mark Gardner was a genius and made sure that uh, Affelt was ready to come in for for Sanchez who was ready to get yanked and uh, the fact that the Bruce Bochy and Gardner and and the pitching staff had gotten together before the game and said. Look, if Sanchez struggles, we're going to go right to Affelt whenever that is, and we're going to then we're, we're, you know, right after that we're going to make sure that Javier Lopez pitches and that even Madison Bumgarner and you know and we're going to make sure that there's there's all of our best lefties are are um, going to pitch in this game because we do not want um, Utley and Howard to beat us, and the the fact that they had it all planned out before the game started. And uh, and then had it ready when when that moment happened, and then I felt being able to get out of the jam, um, and then pitch another inning is you know that that game was one of the most perfectly pitched games um, in in bullpen history um, for the for the Giants, um, and the fact that uh, um, 
Bochi, you know, had it all drawn out beforehand. Um, and the same thing with the game seven that we that I just referenced the Mad Bum. You know, as far as we'll go to we'll go to Jeremy Affeld if Hudson struggles, and then we'll go to uh, Madison Bumgarner after that. You know, the fact that he kind of had that mapped out before the game started just reminds us how incredible um, uh, Bruce Bochy was at, at managing bullpens and, and knowing what to do in the playoffs versus the regular season. Former catcher. It means something. Yep. All right, so uh, honorable mention, where are we at here? What do you got, Ray? I've got 2010, October 23rd, uh, Giants against the Phillies, NLCS Game 6. I've got 2012, October 25th, Tigers versus the Giants World Series Game 2. And I've got October 14th, October 5th, St. Louis uh, Cardinals versus the Giants NLCS Game 5. What about you, Rudy? All right, so at number 5, I have five games. June 25th, 2014. And I've got at number four, June 13th, 2013, both regular season games. At number three, the the infamous 2016 postseason run, the whole thing. At number two, October 24th, 2012, you've already mentioned this game, game one of the World Series. And at number one, I made a big turn. I made a big turn. At number one, it's not a game, it's Bruce Bochy. I put Bruce Bochy as my honorable mention. He is the backbone. He is the Bill Walsh of the San Francisco Giants. He is the the genius, the the uh, the master behind the mayhem. And I thought, you know, he, I, we just, I just like he needed honorable mention. I put him at number one. And I, and I, we've never done this. We've never put a player at 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 an honorable mention. But I thought, or a manager or a coach. And I thought Bruce Bochy deserves the number one because without Bruce Bochy. There is none of this. He is the mastermind. So I put him at number one in my honorable mentions. Candlestick Will, what about you? So um, there's one one game that, you know, you guys mentioned a couple of games that I would have also included, like the Yusmero um, Petit, Brandon Belt, uh, Nationals game, and, and some of those. The one regular season game I was going to uh, mention is the May 25th, 2013 uh, Angel Bagan walk off inside the park home run. Um, that game was was pretty epic, and um, it's uh, but it, my honorable mentions uh, a pretty generic list outside of the Chris Heston no hitter, the Tim Lin- the two Tim Lincecum no hitters. Wanted to shout those out, but then otherwise it's just the, the two wild card wins, uh, the one against the Mets and then the one against the uh, Pirates that you brought up, uh, Ray, and then. It pretty, you know, every playoff win that we didn't mention or that I didn't mention, um, every win over the Dodgers, you know, in uh, <laughs> in uh, in the regular season, um, and then for per- personally, every Kane win, and then uh, any game where Bumgarner hit a homer, and uh, and then just the um, and then you know that's I mean, that those are the ones that I wanted to kind of shout out. Um, but yeah, so uh, but yeah, ne- never never a bad bad time to beat the Dodgers. So no, uh, and uh, and we uh, we did, we hurt them pretty good this last year. Oh, that was a that was a real nice uh, little send off there. But uh, let me go back real quick. I didn't really explain it because I I kind of forgot that we don't explain these games. Um, the number four and five, tw- June twenty fifth, twenty fourteen. That was Lincecum's uh, second no hitter. And number four, July 13, 2013, Tim Lincecum's first no-hitter. That's why those two no-hitters, those are the reasons those games made the list. And we already know about numbers uh, three, two, and one. I just wanted to get that in there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it, no hitters are, are so rare. You know, perfect games obviously are more rare, but, you know, they're so rare in, in baseball history and they're super rare in Giants history. So the fact that we've had uh, a perfect game and three no hitters in this decade is pretty incredible. All right, Ray, big big moment now. What's the, what's your top three? All right, so mine's a little bit obvious. I went with uh, 2010, November 1st, the Giants against the Rangers, World Series Game 5, close closeout game. 2012, October 28th, Giants versus the Detroit Tigers, World Series Game 4, closeout game. And number one, the 2014, October 29th, Giants versus the Kansas City Royals, World Series Game 7. What about you, Rudy? Oh, all right. Well, uh, virtually identical, but uh, with a slight change. Number three, October 28, 2012, game four of the World Series, uh, Giants versus Tigers to close out that series. Number two, and this was really tough. This was my number one and two were really hard, guys. I really struggled on this. But I decided that my number two, would be November 1st, 2010, Game 5 of the World Series, Giants defeat the Rangers. And my number one, once again, Raymond and I are tied, and once again, we already know that we're not tied with Candlestick Will. Game 7 of the World Series, October 29, 2014, uh, Giants defeat the Royals uh, to win their third World Series in five. Yeah, that was a no-brainer for me. It was a no. That's why I was. I was so shocked that it, it was. It was so high up, and even Candlestick Will said, "Well, this game is probably could be ranked higher," but he thought there were some games that happened previous. So now I'm dying to hear. And I know Raymond is too. Candlestick Will, what are your top three for the decade? Well, they they, all, they have all all been mentioned, so it's not. I'm not shocking anyone with mine, but. So for number three, I actually have a, a two-way tie, um, 2012 NLDS games three and five. So the Hunter Pence speech game and the Posey slam. For t- the number two, I have the 2014 NLCS game six that send us to the World Series. And then for number one, I have the 2010 World Series game five to win our first championship. I had a feeling that, that game five, uh, game five of 2010 was going to be candlestick wheels no matter what. <laughs> we've we've done this so much in such a short period i kind of can kind of guess where you guys are going to go and i knew no matter what candlestick will you were going to have game five of 2010 at number one i knew for i would have but i could have bet a hundred dollars on it i would have been i would have done it. i've been like 100 bucks on candlestick will putting that game in there which is uh more than more than a uh worthy worthy ga- game for the for the number one spot all right, Ray, what, what do you got about your – I know your three are somewhat obvious, but why don't you break down for us what we got. Well, if these games – if you don't close out these games, you know, you, uh, you, can't, uh, you can't complete the championship. Uh, well, at least in, uh, in 2012, you, you could arguably have one extra game. You know, it's not like it was a do or die. But in the, uh, the Texas game, you know, that one went to five games. Texas only managed to get one out of that, and I think they got game three. But you got to close it out, and it was a 3-1 performance. And who better to close out 2010 than the man who started 2010 run, which was Tim Lincecum with the uh, 10 strikeouts in eight innings. Just a terrific, again, had a 2.43 ERA throughout that postseason run. He was just brilliant the whole time. He was he was vintage, vintage Lincecum, the freak. And, of course, we had our uh, our really ragtag group of veterans between Aaron Rowan, Edgar Renteria, Pat Burrell, Aubrey Huff, Juan Uribe, 
Cody Ross, um, Andres Torres, Buster Posey, who we drafted, and uh, just a ragtag group of veterans, the scrappy veterans that, you know, just uh, had finally come full circle in their careers to manage to get a ring. And it was just a great way to, to cap off a series. Although I was sad to see Ron Washington, who was the skipper over there in Texas, who was a brilliant third base coach with the Oakland Athletics, lose back-to-back World Series championships when he was uh, uh, heading bo- heading the, the group, which was a brilliant offensive lineup. They just didn't really have the pitching to, to match all that power they had. And there, if there's one thing that you can usually count on more so, than anything in postseason baseball, it's pitching over offense. And uh, in 2012, that was the game four, the dominant sweep of the Detroit Tigers. They really were never really in it, although they gave a much better effort in this game four than any other previous game, getting shut out in back-to-back games in games two and three by a score of two to zero in both contests, and of course getting blown out in game one, eight to three. But uh this again was a uh, and 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 Detroit had a terrific pitching lineup, you know they weren't necessarily oh, yeah. you know they um the Giants record uh, was uh you know they they were uh these teams records weren't too dissimilar but Detroit just was so much was balanced on both sides of the of the ball they had amazing starting pitching they had amazing bats. Uh, Miguel Cabrera. I'm not sure if that was the year he won Triple Crown or if it was another year. Yeah, you know, it was. It was the Triple it was. Crown year. Yeah, it was a Triple Crown year, which hadn't been done in you know forever. So they just had so much power and just and you know. But a, a friend of mine who's from Detroit, you know, was was talking about that, and I just told him, I said, you know what, uh, you know, you might have Verlander, but you know, Verlander is great in the postseason up until the World Series. So you know, if if he's able to keep you know, keep his, cause he's, and it's true. Verlander has a really good postseason career overall, but he does tend to struggle in the world series for whatever reason. I think he just can't seem to control his nerves uh, as, as well as he can between all of the previous rounds. But again, but Max Scherzer was actually the starting pitcher of that game who pitched decently, he pitched six innings, gave up three runs and, only one homer, eight strikeouts, and had a 2.0 ERA in that game. But again, Matt Cain, Matt Cain, who really kind of dominated uh, the the starting pitching uh, in this postseason year, was brilliant in this one in seven innings. He he gave up three runs as well, but uh, but he he was still he got things started, and it was Affelt Casilla and Romo who helped close things out for us in the end. And actually, Phil Coke got the loss here. Um, he was the last pitcher to come up and gave that one up and that was the also an extra innings game where the Giants closed it out in dramatic fashion not really much torture when you're up 3-0 but still uh, you know an exciting game nonetheless a, a fun way to close out the series and of course in 2014 what more can be said between the Giants and the Royals the Royals who gave us more trouble than any other team in postseason outside of the Cardinals and what you know? What better dramatics to have in a World Series than a, a seven-game stretch, going all the whole nine yards with a team that you know Kansas City? You know you you would believe you know, but based on how everything played out in this series, Kansas City wanted to win this series just as much as the Giants, and this really just came down to one player that 
was the X factor for us in Madison Bumgarner that Detroit really just didn't have an answer for no matter when he came in, whether it was game one, the seven to one win, or it was game five, the five Oh shutout Madison Bumgarner just seemed to have their number and Kansas city didn't have an answer. And sure enough, when he came in to close out, you know, I, I'm sure that Kansas city Royals fans were just, you know, biting their nails just because it's like, we've only gotten one score off this guy and here he's coming in again to close it out. And sure enough, he got the big close out there. And this was just, um, that was to me the, the part that stood out the most, even though Tim Hudson started us off, but he gave up two runs quick and he, he got pulled in a heartbeat. And Jeremy Affelt came out in relief and did a couple of innings work, but Madison Bumgarner put in five strong innings to close this one out in just what was an amazing performance, an amazing run. Only had a 1.03 ERA. That's uh, that's closer territory type numbers, you know, short of a short of a oh point something ERA, but uh, but he was uh, right there knocking on the door and just had nasty stuff uh, the entire series. And uh, you know what better way to close out a game seven than with the man who started us, started us off in that series uh, with Madison Bumgarner, who had three amazing performances in that series to give our third championship run and solidify the dynasty. All right, what about you, Rudy? All right, so same exact games, just in a different order. Uh, as I mentioned, October 28, 2012, Game 4 of the World Series. I will tell you guys a great story. I think Raymond uh, really closed out the game. I will tell you where I was at. So every year uh, there is a very famous Halloween boat party that takes place in San Francisco. Many of my friends have been going in the double digits. I've been going for over 10 years, and I was on that boat on October 28, 2012, I was on the top floor of that boat. And on the top floor of that boat, there were two groups of about 20 people in 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 uh, full circles around two different iPads playing the game. And there was a chant going, let's go Giants. And they were just doing that over and over. And I walked up there and ran up to one of the groups. And we were all watching the game on this iPad up there, these two big groups. And we're watching Romo, and he's on the final out. And about 15 seconds before he makes the pitch, the second group jumps and starts cheering and running around the boat. And we look and we go, oh, man, uh, we're probably about to win the World Series. And then, boom, game ends. We sweep the Tigers. We go crazy. We then follow that up by going into the city, into uh, we go into San Francisco. The entire city is going absolutely bonkers. And when I, when I, whenever I think about Game Four of 2012, I remember standing in that crowd and all of us cheering on a boat. Let's go Giants with the clap, and we're sitting there just cheering on the final, uh, the final um, out from Sergio Romo for the Giants. And I that that is where I remember most from that series. It was so dope. Uh, number two, November 1st, 2010, Game 5 of the World Series, Can Candlestick Wills, number one. This was the toughest decision to make. Do I, do I put the closeout game of the first World Series or the closeout game of the last World Series? It was never a doubt to me that these were number one and two. It was just a matter of where they went. Uh, I can't impress upon the listeners how important and what this game meant to the city of San Francisco. This is the first championship ever won in the city of San Francisco by a team not named the San Francisco 49ers. 
We'd seen the Warriors lose championships. We'd see the Giants lose championships. There was only one team that had ever delivered us any championships, and it was a dynasty, and that was the 49ers. And this was the first time a team not named the 49ers brought a ring to San Francisco. And little did we know is kickstarting the beginning of the dynasty of San Francisco, the San Francisco Bay Area. This is the dynasty that would dominate not just San Francisco. It, it's better than Boston. It's better than New York. It's better than every other single city. And if we had one guy sitting at the national level for, for sports journalism, we'd be hearing it from the rooftops. Can you imagine if if Bill Simmons' teams were, were named Giants, Giants 49ers and Warriors, if his teams were, were the, these teams, if, he, if we, let's pretend the Patriots never exist, and his three teams were these, we would never hear the end of it. Oh, my God. We would be inundated with, with how successful his city has done. Or, or Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. You name the guy. Colin Coward. You name the guy. If their teams we're, we're, we're from San Francisco. If they were Giants, Warriors, and 49ers fans, just how we would never hear the end of how successful their teams are. But because none of it, it's all swept under the rug. But regardless, this game right here to win the first World Series, to bring the first championship to the city from a different team, it was so important. It was so vital. I never went to more baseball games in my life than the, than the 2010 year. I started going in 20, 2008, went to a bunch more in 2009, and then probably went to about 25 to 30 games in 2010. I was literally, it felt like I lived and I, at that stadium. And I was at game one of the World Series in 2010. I was at game one. I was right there um, in left field when we started that big rally. I was there. I was there. I, in fact, I found myself, if you were to go on my Facebook, I found myself on the actual TV screen cheering when that first home run hit. I found myself and circled it and posted it. Uh, um, that's, I was right there in the thick of it, and that's why uh, it was tough to put that at number two. But the reason I put it at number two, which has kind of already been stated by Raymond, number one, October 2019, 2014, Game 7 of the World Series, I don't know what else I can say. It is probably, arguably, that whole series is the most dominant pitching performance by a pitcher in World Series history. Bumgarner takes down the Royals. Raymond, you already said it. The Royals wanted this as bad as the Giants, and you worded it perfectly. It came down to one guy. And, in fact, the Royals, they did. They basically channeled their inner San Antonio Spurs, and the, the next year went on a tear and went back and won the World Series in exact same fashion when the Spurs lost to the Heat in 2013 in the NBA Finals and then came back in 2014, destroyed everybody and won the NBA Finals. The The Royals did the exact same thing. They literally, it was verbatim. They get beat in this series, come back and win the next one. They wanted it so bad. Both these teams came from the wild card. I'll never forget at the time, my neighbor was a diehard Kansas City Royals fan and him coming out of his apartment after the, the wild card and us both winning going, man, Pretty crazy on pretty crazy. Wouldn't it be crazy? I remember going, it would it be crazy if somehow, somehow the Royals and Giants made it? We're like, yeah, yeah, it might not, it'll probably not happen, but it would be crazy. Absolutely. We both said that. And then every time after every series for each of our teams, we'd come walking out into the courtyard and talk and talk about each series. And as the postseason went on, we both started to get more and more nervous and both started to think, you know what? This Giants Royals thing, this is this might happen. 
this this is for real. This is in play. And we both started to get more and more nervous. And when this series ended, I'll never forget running out of my apartment, screaming at the top of my lungs in enemy territory, Los Angeles, and then him coming out and shaking my hand. And I'll give you guys one final story for the Game 7 series, just on my experience of it. I, I, I cannot say any more than you said, Raymond. Bumgarner, I think it's just a single great, it's single greatest pitching performance I've ever seen. Um, uh, Raymond, to, you said you talked about the Kansas City Royal crowd. So I have a friend of mine, Will Weston. He owns a bar, uh, Cafe Royale, in San Francisco. They got he is a diehard Kansas City Royals fan. And earlier in the century, he actually got on a bike and rode a bike, him and his friend, from San Francisco to Kansas City to the Royal Stadium. Wrote them a letter telling them of his intention to do it. They said, if you do it, we'll put you on the Jumbotron. We'll interview you. We'll get you seats behind um, the catcher's plate, which they did. Right? They the Royals actually go in to that bar. During this run, the news, the Kansas City News records them in this bar. They're all there. The, the Royals there and it records them inside the bar talking to Will the whole nine. Literally, Royals players are in that bar for this news segment. He goes to uh, he goes to game seven. He goes to game seven. And he told me, he said, we were super raucous. We were super wild. Everybody was going crazy. And then he said, Bumgarner walks across the field. And we all remember, Bumgarner's walking across the field. They're showing his face. You got the, he's got the hat. You, you, he's got the shadow. And, we cut, and, and, and they cut to commercial, right, as he's walking across. He told me that the stadium went into complete silence. He said, you could have heard a pin drop. We watched Madison Bumgarner walk across the field to the mound and he and he told me he goes right then and there we still got five innings left to go he said right then and there we knew it was over he said we did he goes i knew it was over he goes i knew it we were done he goes the crowd went into a silence and no one said a word as he walked across the field so you were saying raymond you know to yes and your thing like the crowd must have been crazy that is coming from a diehard royals fan that was in the crowd that day the crowd went into a hush and said nothing as he walked across the field and that's probably my favorite story from Game 7. But for me, it's the most dramatic victory that they had. And unquestionably, as much as I wanted to put the first World Series, I had to put Game 7 as my number one. All right, Candlestick Will, your turn, buddy. What, what, defend your final three. So, uh, like I said, for number three, I had, um, I had a tie between the Game 3 and Game 5 of the 2012 NLDS. Game three is the Hunter Pence speech, you know, wanting one more day with you guys, the the reverend speaking up and, and t telling everybody um, that they need to play for each other and how much he loves everybody. And then they go out and they and they beat the Reds in a must-win game. Um, you know, the Giants actually had a pretty easy run in 2012. They clinched the, um, the playoffs pretty quickly, whereas in 2010 and 2014 they um, – didn't get into the very end uh, of the season, but in game th uh, in game three against the Reds, they won two to one in ten innings, um, and then in game f five they won six to four. Um, and obviously the Buster Posey grand slam off of Matt Latos is one of the greatest home runs in in uh, San Francisco Giants history. Um, but that game, you know, came down to Sergio Romo. 
once again, finding a way. Um, that year, he just kind of got into his bag and found every pitch that he had besides the besides the the nasty slider and and found ways to get guys out even when the slider wasn't working. And uh, it really really showed what kind of a uh, competitor Sergio Romo was, um, and it wasn't just talent. But game three and five that that in that series was just um, two of the most incredible performances I've ever seen um, by a collective group. And uh, and then game for number two, I have the 2014 NLCS game six, um, maybe. Maybe the greatest home run in Giants history um, in Travis Ishikawa's walk-off, and it might be the second best home run of that game because Michael Morse's home run uh, off Nishak was more improbable, um, more uh, in more tense because we were down um, at that moment, and Michael Morse comes comes in and does exactly what he was supposed to do, which is to come in and get a pinch hit, uh, extra base hit. But the fact that he had a home run to tie the game was even more incredible. It might be the greatest um, trot around the bases in the history of the sport. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anyone with more joy on their face um, and more happy about what they had just accomplished than Michael Morse uh, rounding the bases after that home run. Um, and uh, and by the time Ishikawa got up to the plate, you know he basically just needed to get a um, a ball into the outfield. So the fact that it went over the fence was just you know, even more exciting and more thrilling. And there's nothing quite like uh, a walk-off to send your team to the World Series. Um, and it, it's happened so rare in uh, in baseball history. So that game is just incredible for all those obvious reasons. Um, but the only reason it's not number one for me is because it's really hard to ever top the first championship. And it's really hard to ever top the clinching game in that first championship. Um, and you know Edgar Renteria's home run in that game was the one that's going to live forever. Um, the Dave Fleming call that every Giants fan will remember forever. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, it's a game that was the ultimate you know pitching duel between Cliff Lee and Tim Lincecum. And just like in the game one, Tim Lincecum got the best of Cliff Lee, who was one of the best pitchers in the world at the time. And Lincecum was just the be- was was the best pitcher in the world in 2010, and he proved it again that night. We're going eight innings, and Brian Wilson closing the door. And maybe the best moment of this decade for me is Brian Wilson striking out Nelson Cruz because, for a fan who was born in 1980 and saw the the heartbreak of '89, saw saw the the heartbreak of 2002 and all the heartbreaks in between, to uh, to finally see that last pitch go for a strike, to finally see a game, a season end with a win, um, it was uh, it was a moment that I'll never forget. It was a parade that I'll never forget, and uh, and it's the greatest game of my lifetime uh, as a Giants fan, um, and uh, it's it's going to be impossible to beat um, unless my son. Uh, becomes a San Francisco Giant and wins and wins a game. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Candlestick. Well, so wait, so you were at the parade? I was at the 2010 parade and I was at the 2012 parade. Nice. I was at the 2010 parade too. Ray, you were at 2010 too. 10, weren't you as well? I believe so. Yeah, and 2014. 
Yeah, I was. I missed the last two. I, my parade was being there the night of the game, and then I had to go back to Los Angeles, and then obviously 2014 I was in L.A. But um, to yes and you, Candlestick Will, my the most the you know we talked about moments, and and that's just really what kind of helped lead me is like what are the moments that are just burned in my memory? Brian Wilson throwing that final strike turning around and doing his signature cross to the double point to the air and looking up to his father. That is, uh, that is the moment for me when I think about 2010, that is the, that is the, it's the moment that's etched. It's like the Ishikawa run. You know, that is the moment that is just burned in my memory. And when I think of 2010, I'll, uh, I'll remember that forever. So any, uh, any final thoughts, Ray? It's a dynasty. I love doing a list on teams that are a dynasty because it's uh it's challenging it's fun it's great to reminisce especially with this particular dynasty because there were so many moments in this dynasty that just really it wasn't like a traditional dynasty where you win three straight it was three every other year within five and uh there's just so many moments i mean you guys mentioned moments that you know, like the perfect games and all that stuff in the regular season. Uh, to me, I just stuck to the playoffs. That was kind of where my mind was at, although there was a, a many moments throughout the regular season that were quite memorable too. So kudos to you guys for keeping that in light. Because um, I'm always, a lot of times in these lists, I'm always going to stick to the uh, the postseason. Uh, that's just how my brain works. But, uh, but yeah, um, super fun super fun list to come up with and super fun to remember these moments, especially walking in the streets with everybody, with all the fans as, you know, at least the, the good hours, not the bad hours when it gets too late and people start flipping buses over for no apparent reason. Um, but, but yeah, that was, uh, just really fun. I enjoyed this. This was great. I had a really good time. Go giants. What about you, Rudy? Um, I think to yes. And your number three, uh, the NLDS against the Reds is probably my favorite postseason series of their entire dynasty. It was so crazy. It was so scary. We lost the first two. We had to win three in a row. We had no business winning three in a row. And uh, we got blanked, blanked in the second game. And I just think that's the most memorable series. It, it's, the, it's the one that sticks with me out of all the playoff runs. It's a series that I just thought we were dead. I thought it was over. I was like, you know what? Well, we got 2010, right? Good job, guys. Hey, we got 2010. Hey, good show, boys. Let's go home. We'll see you next year. <laughs> and uh, for them to pull that out and then to go all the way on that run. And then, of course, face elimination against, against Cardinals and then just destroy the Tigers. But uh, I agree with you. I think that's a it's a worthy number three because for for me the NLDS 2012 is is without a doubt my favorite postseason series. It's the most dramatic um, of the of the postseason runs, not including the World Series. And um, yeah, it was just it was super super killer that one. Um, and then uh, your 2014 uh, your 2014 LCS Game Six that was my number five, and obviously. Uh, uh, the 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 Ishikawa, Michael Morris uh, home runs are they're just etched and so it it you know for, to have those at your number two, again similar similar to how I feel about the NLDS like those are those moments are the most memorable I have but beyond the 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 three run the 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 three ball hit from Hunter Pence, 
Um, I don't actually have a – we talked about that for the October 2012 Game 5. I don't really have a memorable moment. It's just what it meant to the entire run. Uh, Zito and what Zito was able to do was so incredible. But, um, but yeah, so um, kind of basically just kind of yes-ending your list. And uh, like Raymond said, go Giants, man. You know, we – we uh, I'm still mad about 2016, but to pull off a dynasty and then have people try to say it wasn't a dynasty was a was a travesty and a slap in the face. When if Boston had done this, if the Yankees had done this, we'd be seeing that D word posted everywhere, all over the place. That was a little bit of an insult, um, but it, but as history has gone, it don't on, count. It, it, Th- those opinions don't count. It's a dynasty. You know, it, they didn't win three straight, which is a traditional dynasty, but you win three and five and in a game is difficult to win consecutive championships as baseball. Then you're a fucking dynasty. Well, as Candlestick Will said, this well, only happened five times in the history of the World Series. Five times ever. Yes. Yeah. The Yankees were the last ones well, to do it. When the Yankees did it a lot, a lot and nobody else really has ever done it. You know, it's like the A's did it, the Cardinals did it and the Giants did it. You know, so it's like when when you really think about like is 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 something a dynasty in baseball, the criteria is so much different than basketball or football or any other sport, because baseball is is the hardest to repeat. Um, There's just way too many regular season games that leads to way too many possible injuries that repeating is so much harder. Um, you know, the fact that the Cardinals, you know, have had the kind of success that they've had over the last decade and the Red Sox have had the kind of success they've had over the last decade and the Giants had the success they had over the last five years. You know, that's the list. There are no other. I mean, the Royals getting to back to back was, you know, again, that's that's an incredible accomplishment because for the most part, you get there once and that's it. You know, the Indians got there once and that's it. The Cubs got there once and that's it. You know, this decade has a lot of different teams getting there once. And it's because it's so hard to go back. So the Giants getting to three World Series by themselves, even if they had lost all three, would still be impressive. Um, the fact they won all three is just incredible. And what if someone says it's not a dynasty, it, it, it doesn't matter because they're wrong, because it's of how rare it is in baseball. So it, it's just, it just is. Um, you know, and, and there's too ma- there's too many people that know the game that have called it a dynasty for fans to think, oh well, but they didn't win in eleven or, or thirteen. It's like, okay, fine, but you know, they they were a damn good team in eleven before Posey got um got his leg broke, and and that was and that was uh, I, it's what's funny. I was going to mention it before. So that May twenty fifth, twenty thirteen game with, with Angel Pagan. The game that Posey broke his leg was also May 25th, uh, 2011. May 25th is my birthday, so it's easier for me to remember that, you know, those dates. But it was like one of the wor- one of the worst things to ever happen to any giant ever happened on my birthday in 2011. One of the best games ever in the regular season happened two years later. But they were in first place when Pagan uh, scored on that walk-off uh, inside the park home run. That year in 2013, they could have easily made the playoffs had they continued to be able to, to play at that pace. And then in 2011, they were in the hunt for the playoffs before Posey broke his leg. And they had they made a couple of moves at the trade deadline, they might have been able to get back there in 20 in 2011. And their pitching staff in 2011 was pretty remarkable. So the you know the idea that they were or were not a dynasty because they didn't go for two years 
they were actually pretty damn good in the two years they missed. Um, they just didn't finish it off because it is so hard. You know, we, we love the bag on the Dodgers uh, on this podcast because they're, they're from LA and they're the Dodgers, and they but suck. they've, <laughs> but they've, but they've gone, they've gone to back-to-back world series. They've got, they've won seven straight NL West titles. Both of those things are super impressive. I love the fact that they haven't won a world series in that time, but that's still super impressive, especially compared to baseball history. So it's like you can um, you can pretend things aren't the way they are, but in in this case, the Giants absolutely have a dynasty um, in the, in that stretch. The fact that it was only five years is pretty brutal. But to your point, 2016, they were right there, and had they been able to to get um, past the Cubs in 2016, then on our list would have on our list would have definitely been um, a couple of those Connor Gillespie games because that 2016. Um, wildcard game was epic with Madison Bumgarner going nine and going head to head with uh, Noah Syndergaard. And then the Connor Gillespie home run off of uh, Familia was just poetic. And then he had the bases clearing double in the Cubs game that we ended up losing because we went with 15 relief pitchers in the last inning. Yep. <laughs> and I know you were, I know you, I know you were mentioning before about your feelings about Santiago Casilla. And I know that he did struggle as a closer, but I'll and I'll I'll say this to my grave. I'll, I'll say this for the rest of time. San Diego Garcia was a very good relief pitcher. He was one of our best relief pitchers ever. His numbers prove it. He wasn't a great closer, but considering what a closer is supposed to do, which is just win, you know, help you finish a game in the ninth inning, he was damn good when he had any kind of a lead. When he had a one-run lead, sometimes his numbers were, weren't so great. But when he had a two- or three-run lead, he was almost always lights out. And the numbers prove that. And we had a multiple-run lead going into the ninth in that game. So had Bruce Bochy stuck with San Diego Garcia and just kept him as the closer instead of pulling him because of fan pressure and whatever else led to that decision, um, he would have closed out that I game. agree. That, I, be- I, I believe that. I think because of all of the criticism he was getting for all the flack he was getting for the blown saves that he had. Almost all the blown saves he had were one run leads, which is really hard to stop. I mean, most closers suck at that. (laughs) You know, there's Mariano Rivera and there's everybody else. Um, So it's like the idea that he was supposed to be perfect is unrealistic, but he actually was not only one of our best closers, one of our most versatile and the fact that he had to become our closer because of lack of options was disappointing because he was great at a, being a multiple inning guy. He could get guys out right and left-handed. He could get guys out in a tough situation against the heart of a lineup. But he, you know, he took on the challenge of being our closer because we needed him. And uh, I compare him similarly to when Benji Molina was asked to be our cleanup hitter and then went a couple years in a row hitting 20 home runs. He wasn't a home run hitter, but he knew he needed to be able to do that for that team at that time. And so Casilla wasn't a closer, but he found a way to do the best he could at that spot. Cause we needed him to, cause we didn't have anybody else. And, um, but we, we ended up just, you know, not going with Casilla at all and going with everybody else trying to get, you know, one out here and one out there. And the Cubs, you know, knew that we didn't know what we wanted to do and knew that we were throwing out guys that had struggled and they f- feasted on it. And I think had we had just gone with Casilla from the beginning then he he gets that he gets us through that inning um, no sweat and we move on to the next game where Johnny Cueto beats the Cubs so that's that's my little uh, 
that's my little rant for for tonight about <laughs> about Casilla. Um, and and but but more more to the point, forget Casilla for a second. Those Conor Gillespie moments are some of the most um, you know, f- easily forgotten moments of the last 10 years because of the fact we didn't close things out in 2016 and we had such epic endings to 2010, 12 and 14 um, that uh, the, the Connor Gillespie home run against the Mets and the bases clearing double against the Cubs are two of the greatest at bats in giants history. And most people don't mention them on lists like this because of how many, how many incredible other wins we had in the, the years prior. Yeah. No, definitely. And I, I agree with you. Uh, I remember when they spoke to the Cubs after the the uh, in the during winter conference, uh, they were asked, what was the hardest um, series to play? And they were said, obviously, it was the it was the 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 seven game series against uh, Cleveland. And they said, no, it was against the Giants. They said that was the hardest game. And and they said, we we were not confident. If we lost game four and had to go back to Chicago, we were not confident that we could win. We didn't know. They said they said that was the hardest series. We knew if we could beat the Giants, we could win the World Series. And that just shows you just what the, the shadow that the Giants were casting on the league at the time and the fact that they were back in it on another even-numbered year. And I agree with you. Had we just gone with the lineup, had Bochy just trusted, his, trusted himself and not started to put everybody else in, I think we we win we win we go back to game five we take care of Chicago and we handle business and we we're talking about four World Series in six years I really truly believe that like without without a doubt I really wasn't scared of anybody else it was like just get past the Cubs we win the whole thing there's no one left no one left all the way through so um, I agree with that but uh, gentlemen a wonderful list now going back to you Goldcast Nation top eleven podcast what is your top eleven Giants games of the decade. Let us know at Top Eleven Podcast on Twitter. You can let us know on YouTube.com slash the Goldcast. You can let us know at the underscore Goldcast. Many, many options for you. Let us know what your top eleven San Francisco Giants games of the decade are. We're gonna be back next week to to now finish the tournament. It is now the Niners against the Warriors against the Giants. What are the top 11 best games of the decade? What are they? What order do they fall in? You've heard all the games. You've seen our lists. Now we will decide who takes the top 11 greatest games of the last 10 years. And so concludes another edition of the Top 11 Podcast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisa III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Suisa first, baby. And our esteemed co-host. Candle, stick, will. Boom! We will see you next week. Same Top 11 time, same Top 11 channel. This is, is the Goldcast.